What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Tuesday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so. And that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast and just a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing. Appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. If you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe wherever you are listening from. Share the podcast with a friend. Share the podcast with a stranger. Leave a comment on a social media post to help penetrate the goofy algorithms and show some activity there or however the hell all that works. I've also been dropping some monthly playlists every first of the month on Apple and Spotify. Links for those are in the episode notes. Just kind of a glimpse of what I'm listening to throughout the month. Things that are making it into my DJ sets, usually some local Portland or Pacific Northwest artists are featured there. And uh, pretty spread out genre-wise. If you're looking for more genre-specific stuff, there's a bunch of playlists up there that are kind of cater to those things as well. So those are in the episode notes. Stoked to get into episode 343. Jordan Vale from Mr. Vale's Math Class 
is on the podcast. Had a nice afternoon hanging with Jordan. He's not only the band leader and music composer for Mr. Vale's math class, but you can also catch him playing in some other great Portland area bands, including the incredible Typhoon, Plastic Cactus, and Night Heron, which by the way, big Night Heron show on February 17th, a co-headline with my dear friend Isabeau Vayu Walker. Don't miss that one at the Doug for February 17th. But this was recorded about a month ago or so. And when I had arrived to Jordan's place, he had just made some food and offered me some grub. So we had a meal together before we jumped on the mics and we just had this very laid back conversation in his basement rehearsal space. And one thing I dig about my recording rig being mobile is that I get to see other people's spaces and often it is the places where they have spent a lot of time creating the music that we're talking about or honing their craft so it was nice to be in Jordan Spakes things got nerdy with Jordan Vale as expected he's undoubtedly a quirky dude and I think that comes through on the mics and in the music as well as the Mr. Vale's math class live show which I think is maybe the only way to truly understand what this band is about and all the energy that goes into the music. There is a Doug Fur show that is mentioned at the end of this episode, but it was this past weekend. I thought I was going to be able to get this episode out prior to that, but it just didn't work out. But from what I saw, it did indeed look like it was quite the rager over there this weekend at the Doug Fur. So stay tuned for more live dates from Mr. Vale's math class coming this year. All the links for Mr. Vales and Jordan's other projects will be in the episode notes if you want to check out some of the other music that he is uh, contributing to. Please do. Great bands. And uh, we're going to kick this episode off with a track from Mr. Vale's math class most recent album called We Can Help You Out. It is available on all of the streaming services. This track is called Disco Dan. Let's do the damn thing.
right, Jordan, you ready to uh, you ready to jump into this thing? Yeah, let's do it. Stoked to uh, finally get to connect with you on the on the mics. I feel like we've been trying to make this happen for a little yeah. while, and I've been trying to get myself out to a, a Mr. Vale's math class show, and I, I finally succeeded. You did it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And got to see it for my first time. Yeah, thank you so much for coming out too. You're welcome. It lived up to the hype. Hell yeah! You know, the, yeah, definitely seems like y'all like to throw a party. You know, yeah, we have a fun time, and it's kind of wild because you know you look back and you're like, oh shit, I've been doing this for like five, six years, and at the beginning, especially as a musician, you're like, what if I get tired of doing this and I put all this effort into like building this business and this brand and the, yeah. all the music and then I'm like no nah, I'm tired and I move on but it's still just as fun playing all the songs as it was five years ago for sure yeah is is Mr. Vales the the first band that you've ever really led because I know you play in a handful of different projects around town and outside of town yeah for the most part um you know I would lead so I went to jazz school and I, I would get gigs and lead like pickup groups or, you know, you'd call it like the Jordan Vale quartet and, you know, but nothing that I really like built a repertoire for and did all of this other, it, it it's more than just playing music. So for in that way, that's like, this is the one group I really led. And then some groups I'm like more of a contributor, like Plastic cactus is is more of like that band is a collection but at the same time and i think in most bands and not a lot of folks really admit this but there's always someone or a couple people leading the charge right yeah you know in that group brooke and mick are plastic cactus i get to contribute creatively which is really nice and it makes it enriching for me yeah um but yeah, as far as Mr. Vale's math class is definitely like first, yeah, first group I ever really fully started and continue to lead. Yeah, well, let's dial it. Uh, let's dial it further back and and set the uh, the foundation for this thing, Jordan. When did you like? What are your earliest memories of either playing music or just even getting hooked in as a as a listener? You know. Actually, that's funny because like the earliest thing is, you know, these, you choose an instrument in fifth grade where I was in, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And wait, I wasn't there. I was in Metro Detroit. This was before I moved to Ann Arbor. And um, I wanted my brother, my older brother played cl uh, clarinet and I wanted to play clarinet. And I was kind of the kid that like if he ordered root beer and then I ordered root beer, he'd get upset at me. I'm just like, I just wanted root beer, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, why are you doing this? He just thought you wanted to be exactly like do exactly what he was doing. And I'm sure there's a level of that. Yeah. But in the end, it's just the superior drink. And uh, <laughs> he played clarinet. Superior to what? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. It's opinions, you know. Uh, <laughs> comment on what your superior drink is in the yeah. And uh, what is yeah, yeah. your preferred root beer? Yeah. Ooh, that's uh, probably a, a weird one. Maybe mug. Wow, I think I just Pepsi like, product. I the, the dog logo is my. I yeah. like that. No, that's yeah. Um, but he played clarinet, and I wanted to play clarinet, and he got upset. 
So I ended up playing trumpet. So, and ever since then, you know, I was kind of like just playing and not really that serious. And then like eighth grade, there was jazz band. And I was like, I did a camp the year before. Cause I was like, all these kids, when you're in sixth grade and seventh grade, you're like, they have them at the assembly and you're like, these kids look cool. Yeah. And I want to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing something yeah. at this assembly. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like that, I don't know, that watermelon man song is fucking sick. <laughs> <laughs> Were there other musicians in your family or was it just your brother playing clarinet or was there like a lot of music? Maybe not instrumentation being played, but like were your folks playing a lot of music around the house, like records or like when you were in the car, was there always music being played? Yeah, I guess this is an interesting one because my parents are split. So it's kind of like two different stories. On my mother's side, she had a decent amount of music in her childhood, but she kind of leaned towards like visual arts and didn't really go towards that. She was definitely like given a lot of opportunities to do music, and she made sure that me and my brother had a lot of opportunities. So, like as children, I did like you know uh, elementary school piano lessons, and if you practice, you get M and M's, and like you know all that <laughs> yeah. stuff. And I think even um, like the Yamaha method stuff, where you're like a little kid. I don't even remember that. But she wasn't really, as far as I remember, like listening to music all the time. But she also just wasn't around a whole lot because she was working a full-time job and is a single mother. And she's either working or driving me or my brother somewhere. Yeah. But my father lived in Cincinnati and he would we'd drive up and down every two, three weeks with us. And uh, that's definitely where I feel like I remember listening to the most music was in his car and hearing like... Um, what if God was one of us? Yeah, some Joan but Osborne. He was super <laughs> okay. into uh, uh, Cake. And then um, who's that? The nerdy, funky duo that's like very dad, yacht rocky. Mm. Um, I'm totally, they had all the the cats on their shit. Wow. It's like Talking Heads was pretty loose, but they were like the session musicians. Okay. How many people do you think are screaming into whatever device that they're listening to this on and just like, it's this band. Uh, (laughs) You know, I have this issue where I always lose words and then describe them really poorly. So probably everyone's like, what the, (laughs) what is this guy talking about? The one with the cats. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The one with the cats. Uh, Did you, um, did you seem to like enjoy what you're dad was playing yeah i love that shit yeah. you know you're like a little kid and you're singing along to like alanis morissette and you have yeah. no idea what she's saying but like in the theater and then she's just like you know like, <laughs> now that i'm an adult i'm like oh shit it was heavy it yeah. was heavy it was a heavy record for uh, me as an eight-year-old to be yeah. very in love with <laughs> that like the red hot chili peppers stuff where like our mom was like you can't listen to under the bridge and it's like why not and now it's like oh it's because it's about shooting heroin under the yeah, <laughs> give it away, give it away. Like, like no, it's yeah, different. So, and I feel like so much music is like that. Where, like, as a kid, 
and actually all media, like all the movies where I feel like there's a lot of like TikToks and reels where it's like this kid's movie where like they snuck in some like, yeah, some not like uh, some adult stuff. Yeah. Cause adults are making it <laughs> yeah, they, and they're going to have to watch it too. <laughs> yeah. It is interesting. Like going back towards those things when you're like, when you've lost some of the innocence and gained some more knowledge about like what those things are actually about. And then you're like, Oh. So uh, that was a very interesting thing for me to be taken in as, yeah. a, as a child. Yeah, or do I, yeah, I do wonder if like, is there like an osmosis occurring where it does get in you, or if it just like completely goes over your head? Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of my musical experience. Definitely, like with my dad was more listening, and with my mother was more. She just gave me a lot of opportunities, and then uh, yeah, I guess my dad also played drums in like a dad blues rock band. Okay. And I saw him perform once because he took us. It was wild. And I have no real concept of how this happened. But he was in Cincinnati and there's the Ohio River. And we took a boat upstream into Kentucky. And then there was just like a barbecue where they had like a whole pig. And some like woman offered me and my you know, we were like eight and eleven, maybe Jello shots, and like we we're like, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Just hanging out in Covington, yeah, Kentucky, or some shit like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, how did I end up here? And uh, yeah, I think right now I would be like, let's go. I want to party with some <laughs> Kentucky folk. Let's like they were raging, and they, you know, you have a you're living on a river, and you have like a couple live bands, and like that's like the party I want to be at. We don't have to go too far into this, but I got to go to Cincinnati, Ohio for my first time back in May. Mm-hmm. And I think that is like an incredibly underrated city. Like, I think it's very cool and actually like reminds me a lot of like the Portland setup, how that, there is that divide, like the river divides Ohio and Kentucky and you can mm-hmm. just like go into Kentucky and look up on the hill and oversee the city of Cincinnati. Oh, it's beautiful, it's yeah. very rad. When you're coming, yeah, and same, like, when you're coming down the freeway and you see the whole city, it's kind of yep. like when you're going over the bridges and you see the whole city and you're like, wow, I live in a, a beautiful place. Yeah. Outside of, like, listening to whatever, your, you know, your dad was playing on the radio, did you seem to kind of develop your own taste or kind of collection of music from a pretty young age? Can I have to admit... Probably just listen to everything my brother listened to. <laughs> God damn He'll it. He'll have a root. All right. Maybe I did. Yeah. Now that I look back at it, thanks for the therapy. I mean, that's, I don't yeah, know. It that seems to be like a pretty common story. You know, yeah. the, the older sibling turning you on to totally. things and maybe like putting you on to things that you wouldn't have maybe come across yeah. at a younger age. So like what was some of the stuff that you remember, maybe some of the stuff that you, you feel like had an impact on your, your young mind. You know, he was listening to some sad stuff. So like Red Hot Chili Peppers was one. The other I remember well is Elliot Smith. You know, nothing else is really coming to mind. I did split from that when in middle school when I started doing the jazz thing and I started kind of looking into that on my own and my mother had a Comcast Rhapsody subscription do you recall that I service? Do. That was I like do. that was the beginning of the end for the music industry. Yeah, this is like pre-Pandora. That was right around that. Yeah, OG streaming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that really opened a lot of doors, and I discovered like Arcade Fire and stuff like that. Oh, you found the indie rock. Yeah, like indie rock there. And it's it's funny because and him and or them and Sufjan Stevens and stuff like that. And um, you know, I never found Typhoon. 
which I was like, you know, middle school, high school, when they were kind of like in their heyday. And it was funny when they asked me to play with them this year and I joined them and I listened to it and I was like, this is like halfway in between Arcade Fire and Soup John Stevens. And I love this shit. Dude. This is my, like, that's my jam. Typhoon. Great band. Yeah. And it's it's been incredible playing with them too. They're all like very nice people and the music is really interesting engaging as a musician and um yeah it's uh so it was nice that like a lot of my earlier ex- i was listening to everything though because I, I mean shoot i had like the like funk rock the jazz i was even like getting into kind of like the funkier stuff Ooh, i was in a i had a ska band in high school okay. all right so then i was listening to a lot of like the it was third waves like punk ska for sure mm-hmm. like um but we were listening to all the different levels so like all the way back to like the scottalites in terms of like we weren't just listening to like real big fish and like let's do this but my mother was really into like the specials and a lot of like the english beat stuff madness yeah exactly so and I, yeah now that i think about it thanks for chatting with me about this i really did have a lot of different musical influences from like a giant spectrum of artists i mean it seems like that has impacted your like your composing too you know because like you can hear that on the the mr vales records like specifically the new one is like where it kind of like can bounce around to something that maybe feels like it has some talking heads vibes sometimes, but then also, you know, digs into some of the stuff that definitely feels like, like reggae. Has, mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, it's it kind of like place in there. And I was kind of like, uh, do you know that Stevie wonder song? I think it's master blaster. Or may- I don't know if I know it off the, well, I guess off it, the top, a big influence for me is definitely Stevie Wonder, just because he has that same thing where his albums are just going all over the place genre-wise. And then also he like synthesizes other albums. And I remember um, in college, we were doing a MLK tribute concert at uh, Michigan State. Michigan State's a really interesting jazz school because like most of the jazz faculty is black. Um, which they kind of, they hired this guy, bassist from Detroit, Rodney Winokur, excellent musician. He played with like Roy Hargrove. Um, I forget names all the time, but this saxophone player that'll just go off for 40. Roy Hargrove's a trumpet player, but then it was Kenny Garrett. So the other Kenny G, oh, yeah. the yeah. hip one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the other yeah. Kenny G. I like, he I had a good, but he, you know, they, they hired him and was like, put a jazz program together. Yeah. And he, he got like some some old Detroit cats and like, but regardless, we're doing this MLK thing and we're doing, um, too high. And there's the section where it's like, and he was like, so this section is actually swing, but it's how Stevie wonder synthesized it. So it's not like, like, like a traditional swing, like dang, but it's like, it's hip. It's kind of like this, yeah, he kind of brought it into the soul R&B funk world and like it was his hearing of it. And that's kind of what, with a lot of the music I'm doing, I'm taking all these, you know, I'm playing in 
like uh, indie rock and I'm playing in a salsa band and I'm playing in a, like a punk band and all these things and I'm kind of like I reel the genre in a little bit because I don't want to copy what they're doing or I don't feel like it's appropriate for me to do literally what they're doing but I kind of like try to make it my own big impact on you then when you like found out what stevie wonder approach was to like things like that and shifting being able to shift sound like that or i guess when he said it it didn't but i definitely like took that to heart for sure so i wasn't like whoa but i was like oh that's cool but now that i'm doing it i'm like oh that makes sense yeah kind of like how once you asked me about who I listened to, I was like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> you just need some time to reflect and say it out loud, you know? <laughs> so did you, like, take, like, even when you, you know, started playing the jazz band in eighth grade, did you seem to take to the jazz genre, like, right away and, like, really enjoy that? Or did you just enjoy playing? Oh, yeah, I love that. And just, like... And I'm kind of a, when I do something, I like to do it methodically. So like if I'm like vacuuming, I'm like, I'm going to do this portion and now this portion. Very thought out. And I can't just like, and just studying. I love studying. And that's kind of what you get to do with jazz is you have all these like well laid out portions of history that all have a specific soundtrack or style associated with it and it's all cool and it sounds good and all the people that were doing it have interesting stories and it was just the yeah the coolest thing really digging into it i mean i definitely have a one of my true jazz loves is like hard bop which is the combination of kind of blues and bebop so it it's this nice thing where it's the best of both worlds and kind of like a cannon bar Cannonball Adderley put it. He was like, you play 50% of what they want to hear and 50% of what you want to play. Because you got to, you know, you got to entertain, but you also have to keep it meaningful for you. And that's where the, in my opinion, some of the best trumpet players come from, like Clifford Brown, Lee Morgan, Miles Davis even had some like a hard bop period where, you know, he was playing some, some good stuff and just, and studying jazz from, yeah, eighth grade on and like uh in high school where i was in ann arbor they had combo programs in the high schools which is really neat because a lot of programs just have a big band because it's efficient you can have more people in a room education loves that but i was able to do big band and combo and i was just like doing as much music as possible super obsessed with either playing or just the study of it yeah and i mean even you know i was doing like three bands in school and then a a group outside of school and then 
uh, have well, like a jazz program group, like in a community school, and then also having my own band. Yeah, I just as much music as possible playing, and yeah, I'd even skip class and go to practice rooms. <laughs> and uh, and actually, in a, in do your math when it's like skip sixth hour, um, I had concert band fifth hour, and then health class sixth hour. I was a second second semester second semester senior taking health class, which is some bullshit. I, ended up, <laughs> I, I got kicked out because the teacher hated me. It was like, go to the library, but you have to take go it. Go play your trumpet, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> and I would skip sixth hour, and then I would come back for seventh hour, which was um, optional. So a lot of kids just left after sixth hour, but I had big band seventh hour. So yeah, that's like, that's a, a part of me that's like in that, that whole song, all those things are actually allegories to like, allegories, like references to my high school experience. Oh yeah. Like smoking weed at lunch. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you smoke weed, weed in high lunch, school? Playing jazz. <laughs> yeah. uh, did I smoke weed in high yeah. school? I had, you know. Cause I know you for, do now from interviews. <laughs> Sorry Maybe. to call you out. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah. I can tell you were real stoned in that one. No, um, I didn't have to tell. You were like, <laughs> you were up front. You're like, by the way, guys. <laughs> by the way, we got really blasted for yeah, this one. Well, yeah, I'm just uh, hang with us. It's actually really good. <laughs> it, it is good. That we, Johnny Franco one is excellent. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You had a great conversation, dude. I really that was. I that. almost had a panic attack during that conversation. I'm pretty sure. I was so blasted oh man um we did not smoke any weed for this particular no, conversation yeah. i can't do that stuff anymore can't do it yeah. um did i smoke weed in high school i smoked a little bit um freshman year of high school i guess i experimented with some weed mm -hmm. you know my parents got divorced oh my freshman year of high school and that was when i was like I'm going to do some shit I didn't think I was going to do. Uh, <laughs> I was like yeah. smoking weed before we went to school. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, classic, I, like using an aluminum can, ooh, you know, that's yeah, really that's going for it, which, yeah, it's very, it's very funny to like look back on 14 year old me smoking oh my weed God, out of a, a can. Little child. And it's I, hilarious. And like I work with high schoolers and when I see like a freshman, I'm like, you are a child. <laughs> like sophomore, junior, senior, like, I mean, they, but even those, I'm just like, this is a child and like, oh my gosh, me, my, um, my partner teaches at Grant. So she's 11th grade, um, ELD and history teacher, ELD being what they call ESL now. Okay. And, um, and I'm sure the people listening might not know, but I tutor math and I now tutor physics as of yesterday. Oh, dang. But, uh. We were at this bakery that's nearby Grant, and I, well, I was getting lunch with her just because it's like a treat. And um, this minivan is next to us, and like this kid walks out of it in like a cloud of smoke, which is probably vape smoke at this point. <laughs> and uh, and Shay's just like, that kid hasn't come to class in a week. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, and. 
Uh, God, why did I mention that? Because high schoolers are like, they look like children. He has yeah. like this mop head and it's yeah. just like, you should not be smoking weed, child. I mean, I don't say but that. that. That's yeah, actually, yeah. That might be kind of insulting at this point, but uh, <laughs> they're not the way you should say it. But yeah. Yeah. It's just funny because it's like very common. That, oh, yeah. You know, people Everyone. experience that during mm-hmm. uh, those high school years. But yeah, it was a very short lived thing, like mm-hmm. a month or two for me of doing that stuff in high school. And then. I went back to my my good boy route mm-hmm. or whatever, but I also do you remember I was talking about this uh, not too long ago of just uh, trying to get people to buy us cigarettes outside of the like a stand in front of a gas Did station. Did you call that hey mistering? No. Yeah, because that's <laughs> and actually going back to do your math, it's like hey mister. That's when you ask like a dude like a homeless dude to buy you booze okay hey mistering all right that makes sense yeah we used to try to get people to buy us cigarettes and then i remember one time our junior high teacher from like the previous year pulled up and just so fucking like embarrassed and also just like uh this guy Mm -hmm. he probably is just like what the fuck is wrong with these kids you know just like i was I was just teaching them last year, and now they're out here in front of the gas station trying to buy cigarettes. These children. And then <laughs> I one time, I had my my trumpet professor in college saw me and my roommates returning our like can deposits, and you know we're like nineteen twenty, yeah. and it's like we had a shopping cart. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's funny how that works. But I mean, he like he knows what's up, and we're in college. But yeah, like with a, a freshman, it's like. Nah, bro. <laughs> so even in high school, you were were you exploring composing music of your own? Yeah, and the the outlet for that was definitely the the ska band. But even then, everyone contributed. Um, it was called Space Based Adventure, which if you look on the internet, it's still there. And it's it's fun listening to it because I'm like, oh yeah, that was I, my friend uses this tenor player. His name was Will Smith. I was like, oh, that's Will Smith's song, and um, that's Ty's song. You could hear like where each one was coming from. Yeah. But all of my songs, half the time, the lyrics were made up on the spot. Okay. So I've I've always struggled with words and remembering, and but that like I still have that like high energy vibe, and I almost like in a way thrive on improv and I think that comes from I was kind of immersed in comedy one from just like my father would watch a lot of comedy central specials and stuff and then on the other side my mother's family is Jewish and actually I I uh I grew up a secular Jew and for my bar mitzvah which I'm sure probably a good like 70 percent of the Jewish community wouldn't recognize this as a bar mitzvah but I, instead of reading from the Torah, because usually kids have to learn Hebrew, yeah. read a passage from a holy book, but I was in the secular Jewish community, so what they had us do is I wrote, they had everyone write a paper on Jewish culture. And what I decided to write about was um, Jewish humor. So I was like looking up um, Mel Brooks yeah. and like, um, I'm forgetting every other name ever, but yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, it's hard. You, you throw a dart at a group of comedians and it's like, you'll probably hit a Jew. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially early on. In yeah. Comedy, I feel like mm-hmm. that was like pretty prevalent. So that, that natural, that stuff kind of naturally made it into like the music you were writing. 
Totally. As yeah. far as lyrics, and it sounds like I mean, not sounds like it oh, the seems like it still does. It's like you know, yeah, that's with, with the Mr. Bales. It's a huge yeah, and it's funny because I'm not making humor music like Flight of the Concords or no. Tenacious D, but at the same time, it's it's a very important part. Maybe in like the vein of um, and fr- the Frank Irwin quintet played one last night, but what was the cover they did? Whose is that? The zany ass guitar guy that. Uh, Zappa. Uh-huh. They played a Zappa tune. I feel like his music was serious, but it was also incredibly silly. Absolutely. Yeah, just just wild. Yeah. And then I think that even maybe comes out more in the live show mm-hmm. for what you're doing. Totally. Yeah. But a lot, I mean, a lot of like uh, tongue-in-cheek stuff, like long division, not that hard. But, you know, yeah. it's like, it's a lot of it's just like, you know, I work with these kids and they're like, oh, it's, and even adults are like, oh, long division. I'm like, it's really not that bad. <laughs> you just don't know how to do it yet. Did you seem to like take a liking to math from a pretty young age or is this just like something that has developed over time? Like when you were a kid growing up playing music, like could you see yourself also teaching math? You know what? Not really. I never thought I'd be teaching math. I was always good at math. Yeah. But I was a terrible student and I hated school. At one point in high school, I actually quit doing math because there was a requirement. I had just done all of the math that my high school had available, which is just Calc BC, they didn't have anything after, but they have a program to send you to Michigan, which now that I realize how much college credits cost, I should have fucking taken a math class <laughs> in Michigan. Um, but instead, I opted to not take math, and they let me to do it because I took physics instead. And they're like, they require four years of math in Michigan because Mich- like kids were fucking up, but I was obviously an exception to the rule. And after junior year, I was just like, I had just a string of shitty teachers. I was the reason my calculus teacher started grading homework because it was first hour and I'd come in stoned and I'd sleep through the whole class and then I'd like do well on a test. And probably that's just because, I mean, I would make sure I knew how to do it. And once I knew how to do it, you weren't going to put more effort into this homework. God, like, no. Just, I got to go play Super Smash Bros. Yeah, and you're like, here for the test. Like free, <laughs> freestyle with my friends that listen to like really hardcore rap <laughs> while smoking weed. Like, uh, you got things to do. Yeah. Like, God, like, like, don't finish the line that's like, uh, money, clothes, and hoes, blunt smoke. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know. There's, but uh, let's see. Um, and that was actually another musical influence is a lot of my friends in high school just listened to like rap, like all the way from Tribe Called Quest to Guilty Simpson okay. in terms of like the whole spectrum yeah. of old school to relatively new school. But let's see, where was I? You were telling me about how much you love math. Oh, yeah. No, you, you oh, I hated about, math. You were just talking about how you hated it and because I, of the, I, like, the homework. and. Yeah, I had the same teacher two years in a row, and she hated my brother, and she did not like me. And she actually said to me, like, at some point, you're going to have to try. I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, teacher. I like, and, you know, that was like, it's this thing thing where it's just like and I think it's I actually recently learned I've I got diagnosed with ADD and my my mother had ADD and she got diagnosed as an adult as well and it's funny because when you're 
you get diagnosed at 28, 29, you look back and you're like, oh shit, those were all coping mechanisms. And the reason my life is where it's at is because in a way I was chasing the dopamine and I just like found math fascinating and it was so easy for me to focus on it. Mm. And same thing with music was just like, it was easy for me to focus on it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. You have any idea why you think that it, like those are things that are easy for you to focus on? I mean, they're, they're really engaging and, uh, it is funny. I listen, I think about music in a very different way to musicians that aren't good at math in terms of, I'm thinking about it as like, it's a puzzle and there's, there's a lot of different options that I can put in any place Mm. and I get to choose that. And I, I kind of learned it backwards where and jazz education kind of does this where they're like, these are the things you can play over this. Where I think the other way of playing music is I'm listening to people. I'm figuring out what they're doing. I don't have names for what they're doing, but I'm just doing what they're doing and then developing the skill of playing music. And it's very instinctive. Well, for me, I was very much on the logical side where I'm like, there's these structures. Here's what I learn what they sound like. I apply them to what I'm playing over. Or I can make a song and it like makes sense where it goes. And I'm constantly trying to connect myself with the instinctive side and try and get away from thinking. And I, it's funny because a lot of those instinctual people are always trying to like, if you ever hear like a guitarist being like, oh, I'm trying to learn music theory. That's yeah. just like, no, it's great that you don't know it and you can still do all the cool shit you can. But it is good to be able to say what you're doing. And I think those two sides are very important, but I... I have noticed this and especially I know a lot of musicians that are good at math and I feel like that uh, we end up approaching music differently. So you find, you find there to be like a lot of parallels between the two in, in the conceptual thinking. So the idea of math music, I do not think is associated with like math minded people playing music. I think that's more like, a thought experiment. The math-minded thing is more like it's just this it's it's an organizational way of thinking and well one way you can figure out I'm at this chord where am I going to go for the bridge and one way to think is like I'm hearing this is this it is this it is this oh this is it and the other way is thinking well we're on the one so for the bridge typically someone goes to the four but the two is also a lot like the four and sometimes people go to the six, but maybe if I go to the flat six, it'll be like a little bit more unique and interesting. So it's more of like a, but I don't actually, I have a hard time knowing what each of those options sound like, but I know they're available and I know I can go to them for sure. And I think that's the, uh, and for me, like I'm a math themed band and everyone's like, you're math rock. I'm like, no, no, (laughs) very much not. Uh, And the way I think about music is very like, logically informed but that doesn't mean I'm trying to like push mathematical boundaries
but a part of your like evolution i guess as a musician being someone that like went to jazz school and and was so like ingrained in that world a part of it has been maybe trying to strip some of that theory from your mind when you're when you are creating with other people or just doing your own compositions totally because it's sound over theory like what's important in the end is what it sounds like and if it sounds good it doesn't matter and and that's why and i'm definitely i love portland because it's so diy and it's like no one cares about your background if your music's cool your music's cool like that's 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 all you need. Yeah, you don't have to worry about like showing up to one of these like New York jazz jams where everybody's trying to like big dick each other and yeah. show each other how many notes they can play. Totally. And even <laughs> the jazz jam here, uh, uh, Ron Steen is like, you'll call a tune and you'd be like, nah, call a jam session tune. Because he's like, I want a common denominator tune. I want something that everyone can feel good on, will sound good, and it's relatively basic. He's not, he doesn't want you to call something to impress people. And I mean, that happened. And I, I was, I'd go out to New York in college because, you know, you go out there with your friends and it's, it's the jazz capital of the world as far as I'm concerned. Um, wow, that was a way to put it. But uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't think a lot of people would argue with that. No. And, you know, the, everyone's kind and open. But at the same time, there's like, yeah, there is a, are you good enough to be here? And I, I need to prove yourself. And yeah, I think that's why I gravitated towards Portland is it felt way more comfortable. And I've always kind of struggled with facility on my instrument, um, which is frustrating because I put so much time and effort and I still struggle to play the trumpet. I think I've gotten to a point where I'm, I'm changing some stuff up and touring with Typhoon, where you had this opener called CJ Carmieri. This dude's wild. He was like, oh yeah, when I graduated from Juilliard, I joined Swift John Stevens' band, and then I started recording with Bon Iver, and then, oh yeah, now I play with Paul Simon. I'm like, dope, cool. Uh, and I, <laughs> I'm still learning how to try to play my instrument over here. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a constant uh, battle of trying to further yourself, which is beautiful, but also challenging. Yeah. And I did just like hang with him and, you know, you grab your trumpet and he's just like casually giving you tips, which is really, I, I try to do that with people and this other trumpet player in Rosalind Bone. He's a newer guy. He doesn't play trumpet. And yeah, I probably gave him like, we just did a week and I gave him like a, essentially a couple lessons and you know, when you're doing it and I'm sure CJ knew that he was essentially giving me a lesson, but it's like, you just want the people around you to be better. And it's not about like a transaction. It's about like, how can I make you feel better about how you're playing this instrument? Yeah. And it was really, it was really important to me. And that actually helped me a lot. And I started looking at his stuff and I changed my, my setup playing trumpet. And, uh, actually, uh, do you know Noah Simpson? I do. I don't know him personally, but I know who Noah is for sure. Seen Noah play. I would say, you know, it's uh, probably an inappropriate way to say this, but once Charlie Porter left town, Noah Simpson's the best trumpet player in Portland. But, uh, he, you know, I hit him up because all the trumpet players are homies because we're like a small collection of people. And uh, he like, I was like, I need this piece of gear. And he was like, yeah, sure, you can borrow mine. And it's like a great community. And like, I'm changing some stuff and I feel a lot better about everything. And just like having the opportunity to like meet other trumpet players and get, God, why, where did I come from? 
Yeah, I'm just fucking. I'm stoked on everyone. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, like for uh, you know, for me who is a little like dumb to some of this, like what what does that mean? Like by you changing your setup and like what it, what does that do for you as a player? So trumpet's a weird instrument where, and all brass instruments are pretty physical in terms of. You know, a piano, you're hitting something and the sound's being made outside of you. It's a hammer striking a string. Um, with a saxophone, you're blowing through a reed and the reed produces the vibration. So you're not producing the vibration, this reed is. Mm. With trumpet, though, the way that your reed is, you have this open hole that they call your aperture. So like when you're whistling, you have a big open hole. And what's happening is there's vibration of air from like how you're whistling and it makes the sound. With trumpet, your hole is much more contained and then it's also being put through an amplifier, which is the the tube of metal called the trumpet. Yeah. And um, what changes the pitch, and same thing with whistling, is your airspeed. It's not pressing the buttons. It's literally how if you increase the airspeed, the pitch will go up. If you decrease the airspeed, it goes down. And kind of the hard thing is like what's going ins on inside your mouth and the way that you funnel air through your mouth hole <laughs> or your amateur um, and how you it just makes a huge difference. And I was doing that really inefficiently. That is the most layman way I could probably put that. But just the fact and. And with a saxophone, it was interesting. There's this guy Carmen Carmen Crusoe. I probably said that wrong, but he was a saxophone player, but he became a trumpet pedagogue. And his whole thing is like on a saxophone, there's your reed, which is the piece of wood, and then there's the metal bit called the ligature, and the ligature keeps the reed in place. And for a trumpet, he was like, well, your reed is your aperture or your lips, and the ligature is your face keeping it in place. It's it's just a really physical instrument in a really precise way. And I think like a piano player, you use your hands on a daily basis. So even if you don't play, you're still like the physical muscles mm. used are still getting worked. If you're a singer, you talk every day. Yeah, You're still, and I'm sure to get to a point where you could sing for three hours, you have to work up to that kind of yeah. like build we those have, muscles just like anything else yeah. and endurance to do that and yeah and that's but that's at the extreme but if you want to sing for 45 minutes you could probably make it through that just because yeah. you but tr you're not trying to hold your face still while like a large amount of air goes through such, a small, like, yeah, such exactly, specific yeah. like shapes <laughs> totally. that you're making with your your mouth to do that right and, and yeah inside your mouth with like your tongue so not the outside the outside really has to stay still for the most part but it's like inside how you're funneling the air. So I'm assuming there's like a lot of very weird exercises to oh, try yeah. to make this happen. <laughs> and all of your roommates are like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? He does this shit every day. I like, moved in the, with this guy, Jordan. Uh, Shit's really weird over here. Yeah. <laughs> I lived with another trumpet player and her other two roommates were just like... And there's, the, there's like a reel out there where it's... um like a saxophone player practicing and he's like playing music and fucking learning solos. And then it's a trumpet player and it's just like playing a long tone. And it's like, <laughs> it's kind of a bummer. And I, I do try to not get nowadays. I try not to get too much in that like practice technique too often. Cause it just gets boring yeah. and I want to play better music, not and it, but it's a balance.
when you were in high school, like before you went to Michigan State, was it pretty clear to you that you wanted to pursue that route of going to jazz school? Like, was it kind of all encompassing for you outside of, I don't know, it just seemed like you're playing in a lot of different bands, whether they were like within the parameters of school or playing in your ska band? Like, did it seem like that was a a tangible route to go to, to be a musician or pursue some sort of career in that. Yeah. I mean, it's a little reckless and like making that decision of like going to college at 18. Now that I look back on it, I like kind of hate that, that you're making this giant financial decision. But I also, my mother had to pay her way through college. And one of the things that she did is because of that, and she's pretty financially sound. She like, made savings so I could go to undergrad and graduate without debt. And if I didn't have that opportunity, I would not have gotten a, I'd be an engineer right now. I wouldn't be a musician just cause I mean, hot take, but I think it's in an, it sucks, but it's like it, without a heavy scholarship, it's kind of financially irresponsible to go into a college and get a degree that isn't going to make you money because you're going to be screwed. It's like getting a loan and then renting a house for a year and then at the end you still have to like pay off the loan but you don't have a house anymore. Mm. And it sucks and I wish there was more uh, financial support. And there is a lot. And I think there are a lot of scholarships for stuff like the arts um, which is great. And I was even able to obtain some. But yeah, I think that allowed me to be like, oh, I can do this having that like financial freedom which and that's also part of the reason I can be in Portland cuz I have friends that graduated from school and actually JC or JC proof Jeff Chilton he you know he graduated with debt and he went on to a cruise ship and he had to make that money yeah. you know <laughs> and I have a friend that was doing cruise ships and then she was oh god she was out of state not enough like financial help probably hundred thousand dollars in debt and she's like uh met she was um a lesbian and she met someone in australia she got out (laughs) you know i don't think she can come back but (laughs) you know like that's that's the crazy ass choices we have to make as people in this wild ass world where this this debt and you're 18 and you go into and you're like, I love music. This makes perfect sense. Yeah. Going to music school. Wow. I can follow my dreams. And then, and then your <laughs> dream is horribly hindered by, um, and I have a lot of music friends that God, the, the old drummer for Rosa bone was just like, he was like, I think he's almost hit the point, but he was like 10 years in on never making a payment on his philosophy degree that he never finished. Yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, at some point it's going to, you know, he's just working in all cash and like, he just has to live a very specific lifestyle. (laughs) And, um, but that, that side, and it kind of, that I definitely am thinking about money a little bit too much and it can be upsetting. I mean, Um, it's hard not to, you know, it's hard to not (laughs) think about the the finances. Yeah, it definitely, especially as you get older, it's like, it's not something that we're going to be able to escape. Yeah. Yeah. This is the how the game is played. <laughs> totally. And I I'm in a group that like in a way struggles cuz it hasn't it's been around for it's Rosa Bone. It's been around for 10 years. But it hasn't really been treated as a business. 
it's been more like we play cool music and we want to make it affordable. And it's kind of like, I think it was Fugazi was like, never have more than a $10 show. Yeah. Well, that was like 30 years ago. And like, what's $10 now? Yeah, for sure. Right. So, um, but that, like that, that punk aspect. And I feel like, like Portland's like, at least before everything got more expensive, there was definitely like, everyone was just passing around the same tip dollar, but we were mm-hmm. doing well. Mm-hmm. And you know, everyone did these insane projects like Rosa Bone, Eight Piece, uh, Spaghetti Western, uh, Typhoon, Eleven People, uh, March 4th, the goddamn marching band. None of yeah. this makes financial sense. No, we were talking about that last night of just like the bigger bands is how hard it is to. But we love that in Portland yeah. because no <laughs> one cares about making money, which is good <laughs> and bad. It's like. I love it and I want to make it happen and I want to do the coolest thing ever and make this collective project and like there's this vibe but then it yeah it hits a point where you're like you start you're I'm 29 now and I'm like I don't want to be I don't want to fall too far behind but also some of these groups are finding ways to make it sustainable as far as the when like when you went to to college for jazz was there a big intimidation factor or like a part of that when you got there and you were surrounded by all of these other kids that went there specifically to play music or did you kind of uh seem to adapt well to that you know michigan state's an interesting place because it's in east lansing there's not a lot of stuff around there but the faculty was excellent like they compete with New York schools in terms of faculty and like USC. And so they bring in these heavy hitters that are just like explicitly wanted to study with someone. And then also they bring in these like, you know how like in college sports, there's like recruiting going on yeah, and it's mostly local. Mm -hmm. And like, if someone like, like, Alabama took this California recruit. There's an idea of like poaching regionally. Mm-hmm. There kind of is that. So, you know, Michigan State has to depend on its local regional recruitment. And it's it's really good and I think important because you have this giant mix of backgrounds. And I was meeting kids that learned how to play in church and didn't know what it like what the chords were called and I was meeting folks that like me who like came up through all these different jazz programs and specifically and I didn't even really think about what God was uh and all the way in the middle where you've um and then you'd have kids from communities that like you're like you aren't prepared to be here but they know that you wanted this and they met you at the audition and they decided like let's give this person a chance because they know if they put a lot of effort into this so much effort it's like all these other degrees you got a class you do the homework you pass the test you're done yeah with music it's like grades don't matter what matters is do you sound good Mm. or do you have yeah do you sound good it doesn't matter how many notes you're playing it doesn't matter what chords you're playing what songs you're playing if you sound good you sound good they could fail you and you could succeed you could drop out and you could succeed. That's like Roy Hargrove dropped out of Berkeley, and now, well, rest in peace. But that motherfucker was playing with D'Angelo and yeah. touring the world, playing his own he music. He was Roy Hargrove. And, yeah. Was, yeah. And you know, and is why I said it's funny is there's this group Joe Hurtler and the Rainbow Seekers, great group out of Michigan. I love them to death. I have a couple um, 
colleagues, I don't know, uh, people I went to school with in the jazz program that play with them now, and the, the sax player, we were in the same improv class, and he was like, do you remember when you said out loud in class that our degrees don't matter? And I was like, oh no. <laughs> you know, like, well, Diego, the sax professor there, excellent saxophonist in person and just like a constant positive force. He said, and Caleb, the sax player's next lesson with Diego, he was like, Diego is furious. And you know, I was kind of, I said some whack shit as a kid in terms of like things that I believe, but then I say it in a fiery way. Like that's an example of like, I, I know our degrees matter. It's important. We worked yeah. really hard to get them. This is an established university. We, you know, we address our professors as professor because there's respect. Right. But I was more thinking like us having a music degree doesn't change our perspective outlooks unless you're going to go teach at a community college. Mm. And half the like, couple of professors didn't even have a formal degree because it's jazz. Right. If you sound good, you're good. And that was what I was trying to get across by said it in such like a visceral way that, um, yeah. Well, it's just kind of like what you were saying too. It's just like, there's plenty of musicians that you end up playing with that don't have that, that school, that music school background or pedigree that can keep up and like, it doesn't make them any less of a player. And, and in some cases they're maybe better players. Totally. And what everyone has in common that's playing is time. How much time did you put in? Shit. The reason you're good at podcasts, you've done, what is this? I don't know. Three years. We're, we're creeping up on 350 episodes or right? so around so here. It's so like hopefully I've gotten better, right? You're going to be better. But I didn't go to broadcast school. God, you know, no, you like didn't. I, yeah. I wanted to. <laughs> it just wasn't anything like I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So I <laughs> and I guess broadcast school can probably, there's probably a pipeline. And, you know, for some things like cruise ships, uh, like I could have maybe tried to join the like Glenn Miller Orchestra because yeah. there's like these ghost bands that, right. but I don't want to do that. I want to play interesting original music, and you know I want to be a rock star. No. <laughs> but uh, and I don't want to be like on the Tonight Show band. I want well actually that'd be cool. They play good music, and you know the I hear like, what you're saying though. Yeah, yeah. I. You don't um, want to be on the cruise ship band. You want to be, you know. I want to be doing some cool crafting stuff. some stuff. Yeah, with, and with people that are making music that is not like catered towards a certain particular group of yeah. folks that are tra like. And you have to make some compromises. Vacation. Yeah, absolutely. Like that makes money. And you know, when I was twenty four, twenty five, and someone asked me, like, "Do you want to join this band? They travel nationally, and you don't make any money." And I was like, "Fuck yeah, let's go." Cause that's like, that's the, what I wanted. And I mean, now it's kind of, I have to make yeah. decisions about what I can and can't do, but. But if you can, then, like those experiences yeah. become pretty invaluable anyways, you yeah. know, where it's just like, maybe you learn so much on an adventure like that, that it's just like, who cares if I have to be broke for this period, if, if you can get away with it, you know, did you find it, uh, fairly easy to in insert yourself into the the portland music scene like did you know many people here before mm. you came out like what was your big uh what sparked you like the idea of you wanting to be here so one of my best friends louis leaguer he was from portland we met at school in um in michigan and i would visit in the summers 
which if you visit Portland in the summer, it's a magical place. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> Everyone's like out and it's beautiful and uh, the there's trees and nature and and I was hooked and I actually I was a little, you know, I kind of struggled with trumpet facility and because of that I just I probably just generally had like low self-esteem and I do want I do want to go into it later but I actually went back into math in college but I wanted to move to like a smaller city so it was New York and California or New York and LA I was a little afraid of because they're just so big and so much competition now I realize if you're there and you're consistent and you show up and you're professional you'll do great um, cause it's not about how well you can play. It's about, are you a good hang and can you like, are you good enough to do the part and mm-hmm. are you going to show up on time? Yeah. And I was looking at like Detroit, Nashville, DC, Portland. And what kind of decided it is there was this house It was called the Chateau. There was a uh, seven people living there. One guy was moving out. Seven people, two bathroom. It was shaped like a ship. It was like very narrow in the front and went back. And the neighbors were uh, Portland State linemen. It was like the lineman house. And it was definitely, it was a college house. But PSU is pretty untraditional. So it's like, it wasn't a bunch of 18 to 22 year olds. It was like 19 to 30. But it's like everyone was musician. So I just immediately was wrapped up in the musical scene at least in that spot. So not as much like the indie rock and stuff, but like Nate Lown lived there and he was playing with Jacob Miller and the Bridge City Crooners, but then he also had his group Star Club, which had Ben Hampton was living there, a great drummer. He's now in New York. and But then Nate Lown also ended up doing Martha Stacks. So through that, I met a bunch of musicians. So like um, Je- Jeff from Kalululu, Nicole McCabe is an excellent sax. Who's on yeah. both so of my better. records? Uh, I'm She's so amazing. I'm so honored to have her on both of them. And uh, God, who else was in that group? Anna Smith, who uh, has her group Twingles, and she also plays in Ran Ran Ran. So like all of these, it's so easy to like that like. I can see in my head the web of this person's connected to this person. Yeah, right away you were like thrown into this world of people that were doing the thing and playing with like a bunch of like yeah, just definitely and we led threw, to a different a lot of different projects like within just that small group of people. And then actually I'll go into a wild happening last night, but we threw this we threw dope parties and like I remember Mr. Bale's math class did a bill with like greater kind out there and greater kind oh, still nice. doing it yeah, and they dude. fucking sound great. So and like good. Peter Knudsen and Corey Lumawaka and Charlie Brown. And who's the, the OG bass player now does, um, he just played good foot talking about yuck. Yeah. Yuck was their OG dude, bass player is... and they're always playing with the dopest people. But then, I mean, the, the, the web just spreads from that band too. And, but the funny thing is, last night at your holiday party, which was sick, Frank Irwin killed it, uh, and um, Vanport, I was, I was, I, I was bopping my head the whole time. I'd never Such been at one DJ. of his sets. He's one of the, he's one of the best DJs in the city. And sure. um, but I was chatting with some folks at the end, and this guy was sitting with my friends who also play music, Wick and Abner, and he was like, "Yeah, I work at the Blind Onion." And I was like, "Wait." Did you bring a bunch of pizza 
to a party in Southwest once. <laughs> he was like, yeah, every once in a while. I was like, oh shit. And this is like four or five years ago. And um, yeah, having that connection of, you know, I'm at Mississippi Pizza. There's what, 30 people there. And just one of the people there just happened to like after work bring five pizzas to a house party I was throwing. It's just like <laughs> this, like, and I love that about Portland. It's like how small it is, but also big. You know, I haven't seen my ex-girlfriend that I broke up with two years the whole time. So, you know, it's like, it's big yeah. enough. <laughs> but it is like, yeah, uh, it very much has like those small town vibes where if you go out somewhere, just kind of bound to run into somebody. Yeah. Especially if you go to a show. Oh, like yeah. you're going, you're going to know a few people in that room. Yeah. And then the... You know, I've played with, I don't know. I mean, at least like consistently as a member, I was in probably like eight to nine groups. And then I've, I've subbed in a lot of groups and of those like nine groups, I was a member. I'm the only person overlapping in most of them (laughs) with like, so just that it just, I don't want to say I know everyone. But I'd say that like James Ford or James Powers, sorry. Yeah. He's in a similar boat. Yeah. And he knows everyone. <laughs> well, it's also because you, it seems so like. By the transitive property. Yeah. I mean, it also must be like part of the situation with the amount of, it's not just like the amount of bands you play with. It's just like they're also pretty spread out genre wise. So you're just like connecting with so many different people because of that yeah all over like the blues brothers where it's like what music do you play it's like well we don't play country and western (laughs) and then and then they have to play country yeah but yeah it's like yeah yeah it's all over the place yeah so did because you were kind of like thrown into that house with so many musicians and connected to so many different projects through that did uh was it pretty quick that you were playing in other groups or around town or or at least like maybe you know playing a live show here or there you know it's kind of slow actually it was a lot of like random jazz gigs because that's what i went to school for and that's what i thought i was going to be doing yeah and the first band i was in that wasn't like a random jazz gig was from craigslist silver ships and great band great music um a little dramatic at times i might have ended up naked in the hallway of a casino in Reno. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how I got there. Uh, but, well, I know how I got to the casino, but not naked outside my room. Uh, but it was, it was, it was a psych rock group. And I was like, sure, why not? And they're like, we need a keyboard player. And I played keyboard because I would run out of trumpet stamina, and, but I still wanted to practice. So I would play songs on the keyboard to like learn them. So is that the other instrument that you're most well versed in? Yeah, and that's that's why I primarily play in the math class. That's your like writing tool most yeah, of the time as well. Yeah, definitely my writing tool. Okay. Um, and I mean, it's laid out in such a linear way, which mm-hmm. going back to math, it's like a number line. I can see the distance between the notes and the the like patterns and. Yeah, the idea that like a third interval and a tenth interval, it's, you know, it's it could be a C and an E or a C and the E an octave above is the same way that like two and 12 are very similar, but they're different. 
and you know 32 is it's the same thing as 12 and 2 but it's just like it's in the 30s instead of the tens sure uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's like uh, piano's written as like a number line and i i make that connection and like a guitar is really hard for me to work with because it's not linear okay um but where was it where were we you were talking about how you ended up uh, in a <laughs> naked in Reno. <laughs> oh yeah, so the the psych rock group, they're like play keyboards, and honestly, part of me was like, this would be good practice. Yeah, because I'm not going to make any money. It's like a pretty loose group, but I wanted to be more valuable mm-hmm. to myself and my community. And a lot of groups I've joined, like I'd say half the groups I've joined, I joined because they're like, we need a trumpet player, and then I'm like. I could play keyboards and auxiliary percussion and like, let's face it, you don't need a trumpet player for a 50 minute set the yeah. whole time, you know? And I just wanted to, I don't want to stand there. I want to like do something. I yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask you, is that like the most engaging preferred situation for you when you do get to play like just that auxiliary role and not just be playing trumpet on a handful of songs in a set? You know, I, yeah, but if the keyboard's too much, it takes away, because I love trumpet. It's my first love. I do just trumpet with night hair, and I love that. But I think when it, like, my primary thing is trumpet, and then I'm doing doing keyboards and auxiliary percussion when it's not needed, that's, like, my ideal. Uh, Although in my own group, I I mean, part of it's just because I'm singing and I'm leading, so I'm playing a little bit less trumpet. Yeah. But... That and I write all the songs on keyboards, so then it's like, well, I gotta keep playing keyboard. Maybe I should change that up though. And I like how Jeff Chilton leads his group just playing trombone and then singing, and he can really like jump around, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of like watching you play both, I guess. Like, yeah. I think it's cool to like see you kind of like jump back and forth. Yeah, I think the general public likes that yeah it's engaging for like as an audience member for sure wow those guys do everything yeah (laughs) some groups are like play trumpet and keyboard and people and in the end the only way for me to be able to do that is for it to be pretty simple yeah but people are like oh shit (laughs) (laughs) Uh, like you can it's just the the tummy head padding thing you know (laughs) well that's difficult for a lot of people Uh, all right i don't know if i can pull that off right now uh, yeah, I mean, with the, sure. with the mic and the, yeah. <laughs> See, I have a mic uh, in my yeah, hand. I, yeah. can, I can certainly oh, talk and, and, and pat. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, like, when you when you came to Portland, did you already have the idea for Mr. Vale's math class? Were you, like, storing away Not tunes at all. at all? Like, where, where does that all <clears throat> come into play? Like, were you teaching math and and feel like like felt like you were just seeing the world through math and just couldn't remove that lens from your life and you're like i'm gonna make a band so i haven't added this context yet but so you know how i quit math senior year yeah um sophomore year of college the second semester i was losing my goddamn mind and i was struggling just because there's a lot of people better than me. And you kind of mentioned that earlier. It was like, is it hard? On the musician side. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Just running. And it's hard to deal with that when you're a kid. Cause there's just like, you just haven't learned to deal with your ego. And I, you know, you're constantly trying to appreciate what you can do while not hating yourself. But I struggled with that. I definitely like was incredibly frustrated. I went to school with some really good musicians and one, a lot of those guys are also my best friends though. So, and some of my, you know, biggest 
supporters and I also support them and like uh, this incredible trumpet player Walter Cano he now is like working at uh he is from Seattle and he got into jazz through this nonprofit that was like jazz music for lower income kids and I want to say it's like jazz ed Seattle if you ever I I actually I donate to them now because I'm like fuck yeah because he now works for them he literally came up through that it gave him like this giant important thing in his life and now he's kind of giving back and it's beautiful but at the same time he's so good they'll fly him out to New York for big band gigs and he's a fucking he's a incredible trumpet player and it's hard to like be overshadowed and I very had to I very much had to make my own niche in terms of like finding value for myself and that was like Jordan was the guy that knew all the tunes. And like I had good phrasing, so very much like I had to like lean into Chet Baker, who's like good phrasing, beautiful songs. I couldn't do the like impress people thing, which is tough because when you're a little you know, like you're a kid and you're like someone plays a high note and everyone's like yeah, and you can't do that. You want to do that. You I want to get that. the yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but my bread and butter is when I fucking chill out, and uh, I mean that's a big reason I I love that energy and that's why in my group I don't play a lot of trumpet because I bring a lot of that like intense energy and like let's party which calls for that type of trumpet but I was struggling and one of my friends Karen Matsuo she's a flute player and she's like yo you just need three classes to get a math minor I was like fuck it let's do this and I actually got back into math and I mean, my professors were all like, I didn't really have teachers that were involved. So I got the best part of math. I just got to mm-hmm. learn math on my own. It was yeah. great. I learned how to like read a textbook and take all the important information out. And um, I remember I'd have these computer paper just like covered in notes, like front and back. I don't think I could still do this. I was like, I was the whole meticulous thing with the vacuuming. I yeah. fucking plugged in for math because these classes in college. The idea is you start at the beginning with the basic rules, and by the end, you've created this section of math. So, and it's really cool because you don't really, you need prerequisites, but in the end, in the class, everything you need at the end is taught from the beginning all the way to the end. And um, that side of me loved it, and it was really, it was great to be good at something. And it helped me balance out that, like, my hurting ego. Yeah, you found some confidence in the in the math. Yeah, and it was funny because all the in, in in Michigan State math, there's like the math kids, and then there's the education kids, and all the math kids, it's like really easy for them, and all the education kids are like, why do I have to take this? I just want to teach middle school <laughs> math, and I was in the middle, and they all like were like, help us, and th- those guys couldn't help them because they weren't able to talk to to the education people because they were just so heady and I was kind of in the middle and I think that helps me tutor math and I think the fact that I play music and it's kind of this personable thing and I'm constantly I think that's yeah now that's kind of how I tutoring just came easily because I I'm coming from this pretty middle ground I'm pretty pretty mediocre at a lot of things yeah I was wondering how how do you become or not become, I guess, that that teacher that you hated, you know, while you're totally in the midst of, of teaching. Well, I don't work at public school. That helps. Yeah. You don't uh, have to deal with a classroom full of 30, 40 kids yeah, at but, a time. Uh, yeah. But as a musician in Portland, um, 
I had to have a job. I don't know many musicians that don't have a job. Uh, job being not a music job. Yeah. And even the music jobs are like, if you're working at CD Baby and you want to play music, that's a job. Yeah. Um, not to hate on people, but it's like you'd rather just be playing music and writing music and recording. Right. And, right. Um, and my first job here was I worked at this place called Mathnasium, uh, which, silly name, but they do a really good job of teaching math. And I learned a lot from them. And I kind of worked up to assistant director eventually and um, kind of working with like, it was interesting. You know, I do like parent emails, which I've always been, emailing's the hardest, man. Do you email a lot? Yeah. Emailing all the time. Yeah. It's like uh, all you do as an adult and like just learning how to email well and like be comfortable telling people what you need to tell them. Yeah. Like telling a parent like your kid has gaps in their math education going back to third grade and they're in 10th grade. So you should come work with us. And I think we can get them to a point where they can succeed, but it doesn't look good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like just telling people hard facts and that's yeah. like, Hey man, we, we can't have you in this band anymore. It just doesn't make sense. We need to be five people instead of six in order to tour. Right. That's devastating to tell someone. Absolutely. Yeah, I just learned and how to like the whole business side of like I take leads in and then I try to from a lead, then you go to contacted, then you go to like you meet with them and then you try to convert the lead. And, you know, music isn't that business. But in the end, actually, some people do is like, well, we got to get the leads. We got to get them to our Spotify page. And then our Spotify page has a portal to our um, our shop. And then at our shop, <laughs> if they turn off our shop, we then send them a response email, you know, like this whole like how to translate a fan lead into a, you don't want to get too into that because you'll hate yourself a little yeah. bit or you won't. Maybe you love that shit. <laughs> do you, how much do you market this podcast? Um, or do you mostly just kind of do it and do public events and buy road? You know, it is marketed. Yeah. You know, it's, it's mostly just marketing through like Instagram pretty much is like, do you do like Instagram ads sometimes? Okay. I don't know if I'm wasting, I'm probably just wasting my money, but. And that's the idea is like, if you're doing an Instagram ad, what are you selling? Yeah. Cause there's no reason to do the ad if you aren't selling something. Yeah. It's a weird, uh, I have found just in general, the podcast to be like a very weird thing to be marketing in some ways, like being in the media world but also feeling it's like my creative outlet but it's a part of me i don't know it's whatever on every podcast they're talking about another podcast <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. yeah no it's i don't uh, know it's i guess it's like most of the marketing is done by just like word of mouth i guess yeah you know? you're working and, with musicians and oh, they, I, they have a following i also just like i feel pretty fortunate that i've been able to create a lot of relationships with pr companies that cool. and and specific folks at those pr companies where there's a lot of like trust yeah in what i do at this point of them feeling good about trying to get yeah. their artists on cool or whatever yeah. and you know, me kind of trying to curate whatever they're bringing me to see if it makes sense to me. Cause I don't really want to just have someone on just to have someone on. Like I want to have people on that. I genuinely like fuck with their music or like think that they're a very good musician. If I don't like maybe identify with the, the project fully, like, yeah, you're a rare son of a guy. So like, have you read a Rolling Stones recently? <laughs> that stuff is just like people getting paid to be placed. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Um, as far as I can tell, 
I also do PR. Okay. So that is like, I am get, I right about? I that? get the real inside look, and we've talked about that a little bit, like on on and off the podcast, just like how most of the most of the things you know when you're getting press now are just like your bio regurgitated so i write a lot of those bios and and then i clearly see like those things being placed in and it's just like oh yeah i didn't do too much work which is very interesting to me yeah i did the muso soup thing and the submit hub and that's exactly what you're getting and you're paying for it and yeah it sucks because you're like is this just like a semi-reasonable scam where it's yeah. like th- is yeah. this website even real do people look at it yeah and in the end the best review i got was uh i mean 11 did a great job chris was incredible she does photography and interviews for them and um she's a huge supporter of the group they did a good one and then the other good one was uh this guy in ann arbor he does a Friday thing. It's called Pulp A2. And every Friday he talks about Washtenaw County related music. Because there's only so much music going on in Ann Arbor. Yeah. And the idea of like, oh, I'm from Ann Arbor. I grew up. I know all of these things. <laughs> and I, and he did a, a really thoughtful review. And it wasn't like I wasn't paying for five stars or to get on there. He was just like, yeah, I listened to it. And this is what, you know... It reminded me of, and it was very like insightful for me. I was like, um, it was like there will be giants. He was thinking because he was like, yeah, their education album, but like you're not gonna learn. And then you know, it is some th- ways to think about it that I had never even thought. And it was also like a a good review as well and kind. But yeah. just the fact that someone listened to it and took the time to write a thoughtful review <laughs> that isn't just a regurgitation of your bio yeah i think that's my like my goal with this typically is just to like let people know that i did see their live show or i did like listen to their record quite a bit yeah you wouldn't even meet with me until you saw that (laughs) like just so that they know that i actually paid attention to it or took the time that's why you're doing it it, though you love this shit it's not like i wouldn't have met with you but it's just like my ideal is to like yeah get to see the live show especially with the band like your band yeah the way i put that was a little hard you wouldn't even meet with me what's (laughs) wrong especially with like your band you know Uh because i feel like the live show is so much like so important of like what mr bale's math class is and and like and in this day and age it's hard to get that across to people because you need to f- get a following on the internet yeah. and then they'll come to shows and it's hard to win people over with a live show because people aren't there right yeah and i was actually yeah i was i was curious about even that as far as because like what you do is uh like the live show is so important to that and imagining feeding off the energy of the people in the room is so important to that and maybe even the the participation that you mm-hmm. give people yeah. the opportunity you know pulling out the bag of of like anything that will uh, allow someone else to like bang on something yeah, you know, you pull yeah. out the, the bag of kitchenware yeah to give totally. everybody their opportunity which is like very like a sweet part of the show but like what's it like i guess trying to capture that energy 
in the studio then with these songs? Good question. It's challenging. And I tried to do it. I was super lo-fi on the first one. And I, we literally just like got together at the mathnasium. We did half of it. We recorded at the mathnasium and I was using like the tables as sound baffles to try and get like better, um, isolation for the amps and like there's uh there's pictures somewhere of us recording inside the and yeah we just brought the stuff and we just did it kind of like i had this idea of like a wolfpack esque and i sh- i had everyone shoot cell phone videos which i struggled to get everyone's cell phone video and then i was never really able to make the like wolfpack esque videos of us doing like the one take and um that was cool but I think there, you know, I, some things just weren't what I wanted Yeah, and you couldn't really fix anything. And I didn't really know what I was doing and I was pretty reckless and like, I learned a lot, (laughs) but later on the second one, I did that with Cam Spees at Trash Treasuries and I had gotten a rack grant for $3,000, which I now realize isn't nearly enough to do a whole record (laughs) especially i used most of it paying the musicians because i wasn't able to do that last time and i was like well i got free money here you go which was great i love paying musicians paying musicians is the coolest thing ever everyone should do it all the time and you know we did the live tracking with the core of the band Mm -hmm. which was drums keyboards bass and then we kind of layered everything on and it was during COVID too. So there was kind of those stipulations in terms of like, it's a six to seven person group. Um, but it was nice layering stuff on cause I got to work with some of my favorite people and like from all these different bands that I'm in. So like Virginia Lopez, who leads Malau to Cuba, she put, um, conga on a couple songs and she is, um, an incredible percussionist and singer and she's like she's like she, i was just at her 80th birthday party and uh the whole passing out percussion stuff comes from her because she plays this big drum and is just like she's in her like sneakers her like you know old person new balances that are cool because you know like not because it's like like we're not trying to like take their shoes but uh <laughs> you know it's like we did it with uh what are they called uh birkenstocks too all the old people's shoes were like those are hip now uh God, I'm a horrible person. But uh, let's see. And she's jumping around. She's got a drum. And it's just like very inviting. And I wanted to bring that energy. And that's why I'm like passing out percussionists because yeah. of Malau to Cuba. And Mick and Brooke from Plastic Cactus both sang on it because I was going to have Joy per- Pearson, who used to be with Lenore, excellent singer. But she had something come up. And I was like, shit, I don't have a singer anymore. So I just like all the singers from my various groups. So. The Plastic Cactus singers did some. Lizzie Rose, who leads Queen Elizabeth and plays in some groups in town, she did some vocals on it. Camp Spees did some vocals on it. Mm-hmm. Floyd is uh, now their name. They did vocals on it and they play clarinet. They used to play clarinet and Jack Maybe, who we were talking about earlier, because you're like, oh, we did. That was in the tens for you for interviews. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and it was it was really a meaningful thing that like during that point in time where you weren't seeing your people to see my people. I love all those people and getting to work with them and getting to make this like thing that will be forever. And 
um, it was definitely like a family affair. And the first one was a family affair too, where it's like just my favorite friends and we're just doing it cause we're doing it. And I think that's how I make the live vibe come through. Mm. It's not like we're in a room and we're playing live. It's because everyone on it is someone I care, respect and love. And it, yeah, in both the cases. And I think that, at least for when I listen through it, I'm like, fuck yeah. And my guitar player, Nick Hamill, he, you know, when you, you're on a record for someone else, even if you're in the band, sometimes it takes a minute. And he probably called me two months ago and he was like, and we released it in April. So this is like six months after we released it. He calls me and he's like, yo, Jordan, I just listened to the record. We did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> Nick's great. And, uh, and it was because the if you see the pictures of the albums, the first one is like this hand-drawn. I kind of wanted this sketch style for Mr. Vale's math class. And the second one's like a very clean picture with like cleaner art. And it, it kind of it, it matches our growth. And uh, Cam is obviously like just making all kinds of great records. Oh yeah, he's in the, town. So I would imagine that that was like pretty key in in getting the sound that you got out of the record. Yeah, and I I love working with him. I play with him in Night Heron, and um, you know Plastic Cactus just recorded with him. So I I I love. He's a great dude, and he's he's a chiller, and he makes you feel comfortable in the studio, and that you're going to be able to do it, even when you're like overwhelmed because managing's hard yeah he he works with everyone i was was saying i live with i used to live with half the shivas and he's worked with them and i don't even want to say the list you already you have it on your last podcast actually already because they already worked with him too you know like whatever um but yeah go yeah if you i do like i think he he needs to update his website because he has a list of like his credits because he needs to update those credits because i wanted to send people to the camp speed's website and so they can just he he's got an older list but he's added so much in the last two three years especially because that pandemic recording boom yeah absolutely that's yeah and so all right where the math class came out of yeah so i you know i'm working at mathnasium and i actually ended up getting a a a full bachelor's in math because later on i learned oh you just need two more classes to get a bachelor's but someone who was fluent in portuguese told me that and i didn't know that i needed to have a language requirement but that's another story um so i you know i have this bachelor's in math so and i i'm working at mathnasium and i'm playing jazz and i'm with my friends and one of my best friends from college was living in town at the time alex mejia and uh louis leaguer had flown in for the holidays or something and one of our mutual friends was throwing a house party and he's like you guys want to play we're like fuck yeah but you can't play jazz at a house party i mean you can but like they're trying to get down yeah and um you know we used to in college we would just play covers of like james brown tunes that are less vocally involved and like you just play funky jazz yeah you know like snarky puppy funky jazz Mm -hmm. But we were like, well, let's like do something more with this. And we were kind of riffing. And uh, Louis and Alex kind of came up with this idea of like Mr. Vale's math class. And you're like this this zany teacher who like <laughs> just wants to party. And, and is dropping some education along yeah, the way. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's like that. And uh, we wrote three songs that night. It was like uh, added up. 
and two others. <laughs> but and the square root of two and something else. And added up was like the like, you know, we definitely had that idea of like this like this kids show and this introduction of like, you know, what you gonna learn today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know, it was just like very um like parodying uh stuff and yeah, we just had a fun time and the show went great and we we're like, let's just keep doing this. Yeah. And it's just it's stuck. And I think it's tough because I did have one friend be like, you should change your name because when people hear math, they don't think good things. I don't know. What do you think when you hear math? I, I mean, if you're like a stranger and you're like Mr. Vale's math Mr. class. Mr. Vale's math class doesn't like, to me, hmm. Like if you live I'm try, in. I'm trying to like, I'm trying to remove any knowledge about what your band is now. You asking me that question? Because like, yeah. I'm just like. Well, I don't associate that with anything negative because I know how fun the experience is. But I think to me, like even initially, it came off more as like the zany kind of like, oh, this sounds like a like a, a pretty goofy party that I should go experience. Like I don't, I don't think it's yeah. But you have to know it's a party, and I love Mister uh, Mississippi Pizza put it as Mister Vale's math class band. and like you know it's it's and you realize like from a marketing standpoint it's good if your name says what you do yeah (laughs) (laughs) i yeah i think i think it's good titling for it's fun what you're doing i'm kind of more curious if you feel do you feel boxed in at all with what you're doing lyrically like do you feel now, because the band is Mr. Vale's math class, do you feel like everything has to be math adjacent, or do you feel good about like going away from that when you're thinking about lyrics? Do you feel like you're towing this line be- between like gimmicky and like trying to balance that whole thing? Yeah, and uh, honestly, even from the onset, I want to do half and half. Because I didn't want to get stuck in that yeah. hole, and uh, also a huge influence was Wolfpack and the, all of their instrumental stuff, and I was like, I could do that. And I do realize that people love words, and Nick Hamill's always trying to get me to play the songs with words, even though I love the songs without words. Um, and I, at this point, I really, I mean, for me, it's easier. I have a hard time taking things seriously. So like any singer just like saying like love, 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 or like without, I have a hard time singing like a literal love song, Yeah. but the moment I turn it into like a math metaphor of a love song, it like, I feel like I can sing it. So I don't feel boxed in at all because it's like, the whole idea and how I got this grant is I was just like, I'm processing normal emotions, but I'm using this theme to do mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, and, and then also I could, I could sing about whatever I want. I I got scrolling to you or scrolling and addicted to you. And that's just about, um, my horrible phone addiction. And I am really glad I haven't looked at my phone once. Wow. Two hours. Let's go. <laughs> um, and I mean, but part of that, in the end, everything 
in a way relates back to at least school. Because like a reason I'm writing about phone stuff is because kids on their phone in school and like how is that affecting people and um you know do your math isn't just about math it's just like any teacher's struggle to get a kid that doesn't want to do something to do something and then also on the other side it's about my like fucked up high school experience where my high school was fine but i was just like skipping class and getting stoned and you know having like guys standing outside of liquor stores by forties for us, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, um, so you're still like, you know, you're pro you're still diving in and like processing things that have actually happened to you through this lens of math almost. Exactly. And that's why it's, it's not math rock at all. It's just my take and my unique take on I mean, things going on in the world and the community and also my own issues. And yeah, I just, I have a hard time um, making words. And I was t like with Space Space Adventure, that ska band, all the songs I did, I was just like improvising the words. Cause I, the idea of like settling on something and having it and like writing poetry is like trying to be serious is really hard for me, which I probably, I should probably go to therapy or something for that. <laughs> well, it's like but, also yeah. knowing what you're like, it seems like you don't want to do that. So why? Yeah. Do and that? enough people are already doing that. Yeah. You don't you know <laughs> if I want to hear a love song, I'll go listen to Alan stone or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's the guy's name, right? Yeah. 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 His name is Alan stone. Yeah, he's he's cool. a person that makes music. He makes great, meaningful love songs. <laughs> that one dude with all the albums with the math titles. I don't like that guy. <laughs> he's trying to steal my game. Those albums aren't about math. Is there a person that does this? Yeah, he's that uh, redheaded guy from England that got to make a cameo in Game of Thrones. The like very popular yes. singer. Incredibly popular. Why are we not able to <laughs> say his name right now? Uh, oh, this is so irritating. I can see his face right yeah. now. He has a lot of math related This one titles. people are screaming at us for, for sure. He has a lot of math yeah, related Yeah, his titles. albums are like addition division or like in the, the, oh, the front i see edward no ed sheeran ed sheeran Boom. there we go yeah, Fuck yeah. Dude, that was a collaboration yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we're not stoned yeah <laughs> uh, now you know why i can't smoke weed because i'm already on one uh yeah yeah um, but no that that's makes sense dude yeah, like it's, if, it's you my shit. if that's Especially if it's not not only what you don't feel like writing about, but you also don't like necessarily connect to it. So like, why try to like bring that in to the thing? Yeah, that and I might have like this idea that I'm not as good, so I have to like use a shtick to. You need like those comedy elements, yeah. To like, and I don't think it's because I'm not as good, but I yeah, I'm I'm not singing like a. Or like uh, Alan Stone or something, or like even like you know it, Jeff Chilton's got really good at singing. Like I feel like I sometimes don't keep up, but then I also realize that singing is just like it's your voice. If people like it, they like it. If they don't, yeah. they don't. But you can be better and worse within your own voice. Well, even I don't know. You you can see there's also moments on the record where you do have some like really nice vocal moments when you oh. like. I want to play the episode out with "Addicted to You" when we get there, but like that's a, like a sweet r&b ballad where you get to flex your your vocal abilities a little bit it's not oh, thanks man it doesn't have like that kind of like scattered um 
talking heads vibe that mm-hmm. like some of the yeah. other like the do your math thing yeah has, no chanting you know, like, involved it's all like nice singing yeah i think that's like yeah. my appreciation of like what you're doing with the band is there are like these sweet r&b moments but then there's like a lot of stuff that has like a very punk rock spirit to it yeah. as well and like that i think most comes across in the live show but lives in the record as well yeah hell yeah and yeah that was hard for me to like try to i have a constant feeling of like not being good enough vocally Mm -hmm. i mean that's a big reason at the onset of the band i'd have a vocalist that was like a ringer Mm. so like i'd do my singing but their singing is the singing that's like gonna kill it and like on uh, make tense first it'd be like I do a verse and they do a chorus and the chorus is the one where it's like yeah that shit and they would do all the covers vocally because they sound good and I loved having like a good sounding singer and I kind of like use that to cover myself up a little bit yeah um, I was curious about uh, I have to refer to my my Mr. Vale's math class notes here yes of course <laughs> are, those like, are meticulous notes you've taken this, feel, this feels like the the most appropriate podcast to have like notes for for your class you know i do love uh nowadays if you're like looking at notes on a phone or doing something relevant you have to say like i am doing something useful <laughs> doing on something this phone productive. i, I I'm not promise you fucking doom scrolling on instagram right now <laughs> oh. oh my gosh yes so taking off yes is this track that has this vocal narrative yeah through it where did that come from? Or like, what, what do you appreciate about a track like that? Um, you know what? It was going to be instrumental. And even like some of the background vocals, we added that in the studio because Cam was like, we need a little bit more. And he does a good job of producing while also doing audio engineering and mixing. And I really appreciate that. And I think it did add a lot when he had notes and he's very good at not having too many, but having good poignant notes. And... Honestly, I well, I love and care about all my friends, and I'm kind of the friend that like. Do you call your friends? I try to, I try to call them. How many of your friends call you? A handful, like randomly. Randomly. Eh. Like just to keep in touch. Yeah, I would say that there's like a handful, and it's good because I think a lot of people are like, no one hits me up, and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna hit you up, dude. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, you need, like, someone has to be that person, I guess. Yeah. And, and it's good to to and, do that. And I genuinely love my friends, and uh, one of my best friends is Isabel Zacharias. Wow, I just called her out full name. <laughs> and uh, she used to be the host for Taking Off on KMHD, and um, it's every every quarter we would meet up in person, and we'd talk for four hours and then we'd say bye and then I'd see her in three months you know just one of those friends where it's just like you're just connecting you're vibing you like you know you're talking about like oh that's what you're doing like how do you feel how do we want to like you know we're just like scheming Mm -hmm. and how to like better ourselves our lives and our goals and I had this idea where I was just like initially I wanted to and I actually did this is I listened to her shows and I recorded them and she always says like really sweet things on her show or when she had her show that especially during the pandemic, she's like, you know, she's just like, if, you know, if you're trying hard, 
and you, you know, you don't feel good, just let like know that you're doing the best you can. And that's important. And, you know, like just, or, um, yeah, just like very sweet things, but also funny, silly things like, uh, like, you know, you should play like September in the rain. She'd be like, how apropos, you know, it's a, and I, 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 I listened to her radio show and I recorded it and I chopped out these moments that I liked. And then I pasted them over the track. And, um, I don't actually know if I'm legally allowed to do that. So sorry, KMHD. Don't worry. I'm not making any money off the track. <laughs> I stole your intellectual you property. Yeah. I sampled it. I guess that's is, is sampling. Well, sampling's like taking it from a song and then, but I literally like recorded the radio. Is that allowed? Probably not. Okay. You sampled it though. I'll okay. we'll say that you sampled it in the best way that you knew how. And you know, I would say that if you do get in trouble for this, yes. Oh, this is a good thing. Press. That means that your band has blown up to a level where somebody came after you for I'll this, this track that you made. Let's go. Why this album? So take my, take my money, y'all. <laughs> was that like a much different creative process for you then? Getting to like do something like that was, you know, where you're kind of yeah, you totally. Know. It was like a little like scrapbook. Yeah, you know, and I yeah, and trying to like place them in the right spot mm -hmm. in the right timing. And I never like did the beats or the chopping up stuff. And I do love people who do that. And I, you guys, you were talking with the high pulp guys or whatever yeah. about how they chop stuff up after like doing the drum take. And I'm like, yeah. oh fuck yeah. It wasn't High Pulp, it was their Sun King. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about Sun King for sure. And yeah, I guess it was a lot like that, and that's very different. And But it's just her riffing, talking on the radio. So it's not, but her voice is also very melodic, because it's a radio voice, you have to be interesting. Yeah. And one funny thing about it, though, and I had a little thing at the end, but I think we just let it be a sax solo, but one thing I had to, I had to have her do a punch in of her saying... Um, my favorite saxophonist, Nicole McCabe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the one thing I could not find on the radio. Uh, so there, it is a little, little bit of a lie, but... Um, no, it's rad to know that that's where that came from, because yeah. listening to it, I would have never thought that. It just seems like you had her record oh, yeah, this it thing. Is. You know? And then some of them you can hear like... Because she'll usually like give you a good one-liner when like the song is ending. Yeah. So we had to like try our best to like get the audio out and just have her voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's moved on it's definitely like in ode to that part of her life but um and it's kind of bad because like 
I had a partner that was like, why don't you write songs about me? And I'm like writing a song about just like a friend. But I just like, I have a lot of genuine love for all my friends. And um, I, I'm not going to like force something like that. And if it just comes into my head, then I'm going to do it. But also a little bit of me is like recently I, um, I'm really happy in my relationship. And I have noticed I'm like, Am I writing a song? Am I going <laughs> to write a love song? This is like... Is Jordan going to write uh, yeah, an no. earnest love oh song? Is that, is that what's coming for the next Oof. Mr. Vale's math class record? Actually, it's... it's Yeah. I do, yeah. Uh, you'll hear it eventually. We'll but, see. Yeah. To be continued. To be continued. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, Big Doug for a show coming up. Yeah. My favorite venue in town. Yeah. Still is the Doug Fur. Mississippi Studios is right up there. Yeah. Also, I mean, those They're are obviously best. like, those are like the, the pillars. Once I played there, I was like, with my own group that I lead, I was like, cool, box checked. Yeah. Um, that's definitely a, a goal for every group in town is to get into one of those because those are the obtainable local venues. It's, it's being, me and Jeff started this group called, we call it Free Pizza Records, but it's not necessarily real yet, but that's presenting the show and, we're just trying to, I have this idea to kind of, we're all spinning our wheels, trying as hard as we can to do this music thing. And I was like, yeah. wait guys, why don't we like pool what we know and our resources together into a collective thing and make it easier for everyone. And that's what free pizza is. Um, it's just a collective of bands that are trying to help each other out and, um, you know, to try to play the game together to make it easier for each other. Yeah, man, it's always easier with uh, with help from others. That's for certain. You know? Yeah, there's so many things to learn and so many different ways of doing things. It's always nice to just even have people to bounce ideas off of, totally. of, like what is the best way to put this music video out, or like who do you know that operates a camera, or you know. And that's yeah, we have like a, a like a listings of like these are all the venues and their contacts, and yeah. if you're gonna do a tour going to LA, here's all the spots you can sleep. Dude, all of that you stuff know. is very helpful. Fuck, and uh, but that show's gonna be a rager. It's gonna be a party. It's gonna be the best party i think it's also just you know we're trying to trying to reset the the value of of music too of just being like yeah you should pay 15 or 20 dollars to go see a few bands so that these bands don't just disappear because of financial reasons you totally. know because there's not enough bread to go around or things like that you know and realizing the uh the amount of time that most people are putting in to playing like a, a big Doug for Mississippi studio show that it's not just that one performance. It's the five rehearsals that happen within those, that month leading up and like the marketing that people totally. put their, their money and energy into and speaking to what we were talking about yeah. as far as having bigger bands where there is like five to eight people in the band and not just a three piece and yeah so there's a there's a lot that goes into it you know yeah and even and even at that point no one's really making money but just like it means something anyways like someone i sent out a email marketing which i do that now you should <laughs> go for it and anything, uh, anything helps and i you know i kind of i post about my merch and then my friend peter who is the drummer in typhoon he's excellent he fucking bought a beanie and I was like, that meant a lot. And it wasn't cause like 
he gave me money, it was because like it showed me that someone was listening and cares enough to. I mean, that's the whole thing of like vote with your dollar is like, yeah, yeah that's real. You let me know in a very objective, tangible way. Yeah, I mean, that's why I buy records a lot of the time. Not only do I love having a bunch of vinyl around my house, it's like it feels like this direct way I can support like not only like big artists that I like, but like my friends' music. Like if totally. I can buy a record, you know, or buy a t-shirt, you know, and speaking of the email list thing, um, that's also just like this thing. Like, if you build a legitimate email list... That's another number of venues like. Dude, it's also, like, this one thing that it seems like you don't have to fight against algorithms. Totally. Because you can post about your show as many times as you want, and there's going to be so many people that never see it. Ugh. Or, yeah. you know, if you post something today and your show's today, you fucked up. Oh, no, it's no not going in front of anyone. Until, like, Sunday. Dude, <laughs> or, yes. You know, so, like, I think the email list... As long as you can make it something that doesn't compute as spam, totally. like you are like I, penetrating like directly in. That's the one the algorithm inbox. you're going about. That's the one thing <laughs> the that you're like fighting algorithm. against is the spam <laughs> thing, and I don't think that that's like that hard. Once they open one, it's not spam anymore. Right. So like, I think the email list is probably pretty underrated at this point, and it's this thing that like I we never know, know. like. Twitter seems to be like falling by the wayside, right? And like, will Instagram be one of those things in five years that is gone? And yeah, (laughs) like it's like one of those things where it's like your 50,000 followers might not even matter on Instagram at a certain point because the the entire platform goes under. And it's like your email list is probably not going to. Yeah. Email fucking rocks. Yeah, absolutely. January 14th, Doug Fur. You can see Mr. Vale's math class. You can, you can get your uh, your tutoring sessions yeah, in now. You're not gonna learn anything necessarily, but <laughs> get you're prepped. Have a good time. You know, go listen. Go listen to the uh, to the record. It's called uh, "We Can Help You Out." Yeah, it's available on all the things. Yeah, and you should come talk to me at the merch booth, and I'll 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 teach you what radians are. <laughs> go say hi to Jordan. He'll oh, teach I mean, you yeah, say hi to me about math. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, man, appreciate you jumping on the mics with me and dude, and, yeah. and talking with me about you know how you got involved in this racket. Yeah, <laughs> this wild racket that is music and having fun. Yeah, glad we finally got to hang uh, out outside yeah, of just like seeing stoked. each other and yeah. passing at a yeah. at a show. And I'll definitely put all the links in the episode notes so people can keep up with you. I'll put the links for um, all the bands you mentioned outside of Mr. Vales too. I'll put the, the Typhoon and Rosalie Bone and Night Heron and Plastic Cactus. I'll put all that stuff yeah, in there. Hell yeah. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show, which is it's a program. If people have made it this deep into the conversation uh, yeah. to hear the Mr. Vales, it's a program. We can properly end this thing. And I, one thing, and I don't want to ruin it for you, but do you know what I think about when you, that word is no. kind of bad, but, um, do you know what a pogrom is? I don't. So, um, I'm about to get my, I get an education here and I, I love it was, it's bad. It's just like the Jew inside of me that like hears things. One, the other day someone said, um, what's, who's the, it's something Frank and they have like the unicorns and all the, I got Lisa Frank 
Is it Lisa Frank? That I don't know. Does, Lisa Frank does all the, like the really bright rainbow unicorn stuff. Or frankly, I don't know. But I got her, this like really fun designer, mixed up with Anne Frank. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's Classic. Like, just, Classic. I mix, I mix up Mel Brooks and Mel Gibson. Like, uh. it's bad. But when I, I, a pogrom is uh, in like Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, the Jews lived in these um, separate communities, which was either a shtetl, which mm-hmm. was a small village or a ghetto. And um, every once in a while, they would just the like local people would fuck the shit up and that was called a pogrom okay so kind of like you know like tulsa race riot stuff where like yeah. the white people are like let's fuck their shit up yeah so that's what a pog- pogrom is so it's it's bad that i think about that but i love well, it's yeah i have i have some Sorry. jewish roots so it's funny how that yeah <laughs> um but yeah i will not be starting po- pogrom <laughs> records or anything like that yeah oh my gosh but yeah just shall i you could, should could you say it one more time it's a program yeah i didn't want to say the wrong thing <laughs> it's a program you nailed it everybody that's jordan vale Perfect. you can catch mr vale's math class on january 14th you can find the record wherever you stream things and uh jordan talked about his addiction to his phone earlier in the conversation and we're going to play it out with a track that is called addicted to you it is about just that his his phone addiction and that's the jelly jams and we will catch you on the flip side portland or wherever you are listening from oh yeah thank you
Hey, just want to give a big shout out to Distro Kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Can't say thank you enough to Distro Kid for their longtime support of this thing. Make sure you go into the episode notes and find that Distro Kid link to receive 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you. So make sure you take advantage of that. You can also find the link in my link tree in my Instagram bio. Big thanks to DistroKid and the other sponsors of the show. Stay up, stay tuned.